0: It's not like an interview, us It's not like an interview, interview <laughs> where we all have to be serious. We can laugh, yeah. joke. It's, it's for students, by students, so we don't want it to be so formal. Where it's like, oh, we're coming off like weird. The teachers here <laughs> we just want, we want it to calm um, so people just understand it clearly that way. So we just flow with everything. Hi everyone, welcome back to the LX3 Podcast. It's me, your host, Cam Cerenze, and I'm back with my co-host.
1: Your boy Olash And today we have the big man, Kevin Ferguson.
0: The one and only. Oh, yeah. oh, man.
2: <laughs> These guys are setting high expectations.
0: The one the and only, man. Kevin Uh-oh. Ferguson. Could you briefly tell us about yourself, the one and only?
2: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, So again, Kevin Ferguson, really excited to be here, excited to talk to your audience, and looking forward to having a wonderful conversation with you, too. So me, you know, born and raised in Gadsden, Alabama, often joke with folks that Gadsden is uh, not large enough to be a dot on the map. And so if you if you put up a map, um, you, you know, you wouldn't see Gadsden, Alabama. I had sort of a traditional upbringing, right? You know, two-parent household, have two older sisters, uh, and I was the youngest of us three. Um, I I guess, you know, sort of the big question here is how did I get to Alabama and him? And growing up, I had a mentor who was a local city councilman. His name is Robert Avery. And not only was he a city councilman, but he also was on the board of directors, excuse me, the board of trustees at Alabama a and so he was somebody who always said to me, hey, you need to be looking at this school, this is a great school, um, you, you know, you should go. And uh, he, he's really the impetus behind me going to a place like Alabama a and ultimately transforming my life because I often tell people, um, I got the, 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 the sort of the big three things at Alabama a I got a great quality education, I had phenomenal job offers when I left, and, and I got a wife. Uh, because I met my wife and uh, married her. You know, she's another bulldog. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just some of the things that I've done since leaving. I was on the AM when I left, I went to work for BP and uh, so did electrical engineering and project management at BP. Then I moved on to Chevron uh, out in Texas, did that for a couple of years. So I did engineering in total for about four or five years. Uh, and then I went to business school. And so I moved up to the Boston area and went to business school up in Boston did that, that was certainly a transformative experience for me. And then I I was still seeking adventure. And so I left uh, Boston and I moved to Beijing, China and uh, lived in China for two years. So I studied for a year uh, as a Schwarzman scholar. And then I worked in the e-mobility industry and corporate strategy, business development uh, in Beijing and in the Shenzhen area. Um, And then the world changed as we know it. And, we, and the world that we currently find ourselves in with, with COVID. And uh, came back to North America, worked on the North American team for a bit, uh, and then decided to, to quit the corporate gig and uh, jump ship. And, and that brings us to where we are today, uh, doing my own thing, uh, my own entrepreneurial thing. Thank you.
0: Okay, so it's not like an interview, Before I start, it's not like an interview interview <laughs> where we all have to be serious. We can laugh, yeah. joke, it's, it's for students, by students, so we don't want it to be so formal where it's like, oh, we're coming off like weird, the teacher's here. <laughs> just what, what is it to um, come so people just understand it clearly that way, so we just flow with everything. Okay,
2: so starting in three, two, one. Sort of my upbringing, and then when you get to college, so I came to a and in 08, graduated in 2012. Uh, I did a myriad of things while I was at alabama A&M, I'm a you know, i A&M. I'm an alpha, so Delta Gamma DG. Shout out to any of the bros at DG who may chime in or listen. Uh, did University Echoes, so so it was a part of the ambassador program uh, because I, I used to just love meeting people and being an advocate uh, and, and being an evangelist for the university. And University Echoes provided that opportunity. Uh, but you know, studied engineering. So spent a lot of days in the ETB. Uh, you know, spent a lot of my time in the ETB, studied electrical engineering. And that's what I walked away with when I left a m in 2012. I went to go work for BP for a couple of years. After I worked at BP, went to go work at Chevron uh, in engineering, project engineering capacities. Left there, went to business school uh, up in the Boston area. Did that for a little while. So business school was two years. Left business school, Moved to China, so lived in China for two years, studied in China and worked in China as well. Uh, and so, don't, don't ask me to to speak Mandarin. My 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 John Wen, <laughs> hey, what, what, what a Wynn, my, my my John Wynn is not is not that great. Uh, <laughs> and then came back home after the world changed as we know it, of course, with with COVID nineteen and the realities that we're living in today. Um, and and then you know quit my job and decided to do something more entrepreneurial. So been working on a couple of different entrepreneurial ventures, um, like the last six months. So so again excited to to be with you all, and um, excited for the conversation. But that's just a, a little bit about myself.
0: Thank you. Uh-huh. You seem very connected since day one. You had someone on <laughs> the board, the board of directors. Is that how you got in? It probably is. It probably
2: is. (laughs) That's how I got
0: in. But you seem very well connected with people around. If you didn't go to Alabama A&M, did you have any other place you were going to?
2: Yeah, so my cousin, she actually played basketball for Mississippi State. And so Mississippi State was a school that I was looking at. um, Actually, UAH. Uh, I had uh, applied and got into UAH. I got some scholarship money at UAH uh, as well. But, you know, yeah, you know, I think I think when people look at <clears throat> excuse me, when people look at some of the things that I've done sort of post Alabama AM, you know, I think they can get a misconception about who I am and where I'm coming from. Because, you know, a lot of the reasons why I didn't apply to a plethora of different schools coming out of high school was man, I went to a one A high school. There were like thirty five kids in my graduate class. You know, I was one of three black kids. It was a very rural environment. Um, the high school I went to, 70% of people were on free or reduced lunch. And these weren't black kids. These were like poor white kids, um, right? So this was sort of rural coach being Alabama. And as you can imagine, you know, guys coming out of, uh, and people coming out of the high school I graduated, you know, guys weren't applying to Yale, Princeton, Stanford, and Harvard. Like, you know, if you just got in college, you were doing great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, was, it was sort of that environment for me. So, you know, I always like to tell that side of my story because I think, again, people look at some of the things may, that I maybe have done after Alabama a and and they just get sort of the wrong misconception and the wrong picture of as if, you know, since I was born, my parents had me on this path of check this box, then check that box, then check that box. That hadn't been the case. I've been the beneficiary of a lot of people helping me along the way. Uh, and a lot of prayers. Uh, that That's really sort of the, the, the meat and bones of my story, uh, not something that I did uh, in particular, I, or I wasn't following some playbook.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's quite interesting, you know,
1: staying from the bottom of my year.
2: Ah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> still, still got a long way to go, my man. Yeah. Still got a long <laughs> way to go. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at the journey, I, I was looking at the journey, the journey, that's what I'm at. Yeah. But speaking on speaking of the journey, though, um, you started with engineering, then you slowly moved on to like the entrepreneurial space and whatnot. And uh, I'm quite curious about why did sort of sudden shift from engineering to entrepreneurial? Why did sudden shift kind of like okay, I'm good at engineering, I love math, now I want to go get my MB, and then I want to go, go to China. So why those connections? Why do you just go through that certain part way? Why did you take the decision to where you are right
2: now? Yeah. So my true Passion and interest was like politics and history. That's actually my true passion and interest. I really love uh, political science, political theory, uh, as well as history, because I think you can just learn so much uh, from studying the past. However, when I when I got ready to declare a major, my parents uh, sort of forcefully encouraged me to to study engineering because I was I was fairly good in, in math, uh, and they knew. Right, I could get a job fresh out of school. And the prevailing thought at the time was if I studied political science or if I studied um, history, then when I left Alabama A&M, I would probably have to go to law school. Uh, it was sort of like a foregone conclusion. Okay, go ahead and go get a professional degree, go to law school, and, and then you can start your career. Whereas if I studied engineering, four years later, you could, uh, you know, job prospects would be pretty robust and, and you could kick um, off your career you know, early into your twenties. And so, you know, to answer your question directly about what what did that shift look like? As you all know, sort of you come out of school, you take a technical job, you're sort of focused on that job per se, right? You're focused on the electrical engineering aspect of the project that you're doing. And uh, as I did that over the years, I found myself being more and more interested in, Hey, I really understand this project, but where does it fit in the big picture of things, right? Hey, I'm doing this project, but what does it mean for the overall business? And when I started asking these questions, when I got a bit curious about these things, um, you know, business school was like the prevailing uh, guidance and advice that I would receive from mentors and and friends alike. Um, and let me back up to even before talking about going to business school, I did a program. I had been working. I was out of Alabama for maybe two years. Yeah, I was probably out two years. And, uh, you know, I had started looking around. Hey, I want to understand where this fits in the bigger picture. And a friend of mine um, had shared and I, either a friend or share or I came across to this program at Yale. It was the Yale pre MBA Leadership Program. And I don't even know if it's still around. Um, I don't even know they're still doing the program, but it was essentially a program that uh, they brought in, you know, minority students. Um, either you are like a, a junior, senior in college or you are a recent graduate. So maybe two years or less out, uh, out of, two, two or three years uh, out of undergrad. And man, I applied to that program, ended up getting in. And as you can imagine, you, you, know, you, you go from sort of rural Alabama, Alabama a and then you go step on a campus like Yale, it was just, a, I mean, it was an eye-opener. You know, one of the things that, uh, I, I don't know if people listen to the podcast, I Am Athlete. It's actually a really good podcast. Um, but um, Fred, I think Fred Taylor, you, you know, he played football or whatnot. One of the things he always says is exposure leads to expansion. And I found that to be really true, at least from my life. This was a, a formative experience going to a place like Yale, being around students and being around professors and being around individuals who, when they dream, they just dream really big. And so i done that program. It was like a week long. When I left there, I knew I was going to get an MBA and I knew that I was going to go try to get an MBA at a top tier business school. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's sort of how the transition happened. I worked for a couple of more years, so maybe two or three more years. And then when I applied to business school, I applied to the to the to the best business schools uh, that you know in the world. I, you know you look at the rankings and you say, okay, well, who's number one? Okay, Harvard's number one. So we're we're gonna shoot for Harvard. Um and it's because of those formative experiences that the Yale pre-MBA program provided that I even had the audacity to 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 say, yeah, I can I can go to a place like Harvard Business School. That's very interesting.
0: So now I have a question, like this is, I just need your perspective on this. So recently I've been co-oping at BSF, and I've noticed, okay, yeah, electrical engineering is cool, but I know I could do something else. I could do, I've done some projects that are not electrical engineering and I could do them. So from your perspective, do you think, like when you get to the real world, do you think you can just do anything? Like, do you think people are just focused? Like, should they be focused? Say your passion was, your passion is history and political science. Do you think that even though you did political science, you would still be able to do electrical engineering, still go on to be a business person? Do you think we are all capable of just doing what we want to do, or we're fixed and we're targeted towards something?
2: Oh no, no, and and I think if if you study the world, you'd see that that's certainly not the case in the world we live in today. I mean, the world we live in today. Imagine if you if you live to be a hundred years old. Within that hundred year time span, you can have four, five, six different careers, mm-hmm. uh, just in that in that time frame. And so I would tell anybody, don't solo yourself. If you just because you study engineering, you can pivot. And if you want to do music, you can do music. If if you want to pivot and do business, you can do business. Uh, and, and vice versa. I have friends who they studied accounting and now they're teachers uh, because that's where their passion was. And so I would, I would certainly say don't, don't solo yourself or cap yourself. What I would say is don't underestimate the learnings you can have from different experience, like a, a traditional experience. So for you, you take a job at a place like BNSL. You don't know what that experience is going to provide. And I think the perspective and the way you want to think about that or the way anybody in your audience wants to think about that is one if you go work there you're going to learn something right you're going to learn something and look at it as I'm getting paid to learn and so somebody's paying you to learn something and then not only are you going to learn sort of the technical things but you're also going to build a set of relationships which really this is what life is about relationship building and developing meaningful relationships with individuals uh, and those folks that you develop those relationships with, right? you don't know how they can ultimately change your trajectory. Uh, and so, you know, again, I would say, no matter what you wanna do, no matter what experiences, or excuse me, no matter what experience you're currently in, just look at it as a learning opportunity. And for a traditional job, look at it as a learning opportunity in which I'm getting paid for. And then you're gonna take those skills and you're gonna apply them to your next, right to your next adventure, your next gig. Things I learned in, in uh, at BP and Chevron, I'm still deploying today in sort of the entrepreneurial ventures. And, and, and the last thing I'd say on that is, don't underestimate the credibility that a traditional job may give you, right? Like in the engineering space, in the oil and gas world, when I told somebody I worked at BP, or I worked at Chevron, it was like immense credibility. Right, because those are established organizations, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, you know, right, right or wrong, people will give you credibility and, and give you the benefit of the doubt just because of the institutions that you're tied to, whether that's right or wrong. It's sort of like a place like Harvard, right? After I went to Harvard, people treated me materially different. Whether that's right or wrong, people perceive my value to be different after that.
1: That's true. You know, it's humans are really wired in the way that we rely solely on credibility, especially where I'm from in Nigeria. Like if it's who you know, it's not about your skill set. Yeah. You could have all the brains in the world, but if you don't know nobody, you're nobody. <laughs> so that applies in different scenario So um speaking on that issue, I might ask a question like okay, so you now that you're an entrepreneur resident and you kind of venture into different entrepreneurial uh, activities. Would you Go with the same patch you went to of like okay, going to Harvard MB, or would you go straight into entrepreneurship, either right from high school or right from college? And you still get that same like life experience?
2: No, I would I would I would definitely do it the same path that I did. And I think sort of the way I think about this is for somebody who came from my background, I needed those things. So let's say, let's say my dad or my mom, they were wealthy. Right, they 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 had experiences, and I had an idea. Maybe they could fund it right away, right? But for somebody like me coming where I came from, um, you sort of needed that. You needed not only the educational component to a place like Harvard, uh, but you also needed those relationships, and then you needed that institutional credibility uh, for people to believe in you and take a shot on you. And so when you think about things like raising money. Well, if I had tried to go do a venture right after Alabama a or maybe right out of high school or whatever, even to get funded, it would have been a much more difficult path versus if you're trying to do something after you come out of a place like Harvard. Not only do you know people um, with resources, but also individuals, again, like I said, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt of like, OK, this guy, okay, he went to this school. OK, he's he's got to be he's got to have something going on up there in his head. And so I, I'll take a risk on this guy, whereas, right, the, the same might not have been said if I had tried to do something fresh out of undergrad. That perfect, So
0: noted. Okay, so from what I'm seeing, it's like you very much value networking. That I can understand that. So when was... I it? actually
2: don't like the word networking. I value relationship building. <laughs> okay. I value relationship building. Okay, okay, okay. You value... <laughs> so why why do you say that? So because because I think when people that? say networking, I think when people say networking, it can come across as very transactional, mm-hmm. right? Sort of quid mm-hmm. pro quo. You do something for me, I do something for you. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's Lovely. not really the special or the... That, that's not the the, the the sweet sauce of networking. Really... The good networkers are great relationship builders, and you're not looking at it as, what can I extract from this relationship, right? It could also be, what can I give to this relationship? And when you start thinking about it that way, it's not so transactional. It's not, man, I want to meet this guy because, man, I know this guy can do X, Y, or Z for me. That That's, you know, when people say networking, you know, that's sort of what what, what always comes to mind. Uh, so it's always- Yeah, that'd be <laughs> Exactly.
0: exactly. I, I just, I just, I just had a very big paradigm shift right now. So yeah, it's always a
2: relationship building. Yeah, rela- say relationship.
0: No more networking events. Relationship building events. Yeah. So, when was so let's like go back a little bit. When was the time? So I believe there are points where we grew. We all grew. Be, we were children, learn how to walk, go through high school, all that stuff. So what was your, where was your moment or what was your moment of epiphany where you started to value things like not things you value how do you things like like relationship building where did you when did you start to value things like that not not valuing when's the new PS5 coming out when did that kind of thing change when what happened how did that happen? Yes.
2: No, absolutely, I think that's a great question. For me, I can point to two times in my life, uh, at least in the early part of my life, where I would say there was a paradigm shift. The first one was when I was in the 10th grade. Uh, When I was in the 10th grade, I transferred schools, transferred high school, so I was going to more of this, this sort of rural, smaller high school. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I had some good teachers who told me, hey man, you're actually a pretty smart kid, I just need you to start applying yourself. And once I believe I had a teacher, somebody right on the outside, Everybody, mother tells them, you're special, you're smart, blah, 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 right? But when I had somebody outside of my parents, my mom and my dad telling me that, it, that was the first paradigm shift where I actually started caring about my academic performance. And so once I like sort of zoned in there, that changed everything, like GPA, grades, everything just changed after that. And ended up graduating salutatory in my, in my class in, in high school. But that was the first paradigm shift. But I would say the most meaningful paradigm shift—call it under 20 and under—was when I joined Alpha Phi Alpha. And the reason it was such a paradigm shift for me was I can I can still remember the first conference that I went to, like after you know shortly after we crossed, you have that state conference, then you go to a regional conference, I, and it was the first time I had been surrounded by like African-American men who are like just crushing shit. And, and, and excuse the language, but they were just like crushing life, right? And it's like the first time you're in an environment where nobody cares how fast you run. Nobody cares, uh, you know, if you can score the basketball, if, you know, if you get 30 points in a game or you get 40 points in a game, like the competitive environment shifted. Everybody wanted to know, oh, what's your GPA? oh, what co-ops do you have? Oh, what are you thinking about doing after you graduate from undergrad? And then, you you know, not only is that competitive environment amongst people your age look different, but also the men who went through Alpha and the older men that you're surrounded by. I mean, these guys are executives. They're uh, you know, they're, they're businessmen, lawyers, doctors, engineers, computer scientists, entrepreneurs, right? Like really, really successful people who have done well, you know, from a professional sense. But then you also get this other side of them as well, because, you know, many of them may bring their wife to the conference. And you're like, oh, wow. Not only does this guy have this professional life in order, but he's also got his personal life in order, too. Right. Man, he's been married for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, man, he's got a kid who's in college or whatnot. And so it was the first time in my life where I got this sort of panoramic, almost this 360 viewpoint of like, hey, actually, the stereotype of a black person and the stereotype in particular of a black man that I've been fed for like the first 18, 19 years of my life. Oh, wow. This is actually all wrong. This is what this is what this looks like and this is what I want to be.
1: That's really something to think about for me personally and I think for probably our listeners about, you know, your surrounding kind of affects your growth level. You know, your mm-hmm. surrounding
2: can what you or they can drive you up. Mm-hmm. Quite, um, quite oh up that's absolutely kind of that. <laughs> That's absolutely true. I mean that's you know, I can't I mean I can't emphasize that enough. Right. And, and, and in my life and every sort of, you know, every time my peer group changed. Right. Sort of the, your exposure level changed, too, as you as you can imagine. I mean, the things that people are talking about when I was in business school, um, you know, at Harvard, it looked fundamentally different than the things people were talking about in some of the uh, the, the, the peer groups I was in. In a previous life, when I moved to China and, and I and I got a Schwarzman scholarship, the things that peer group is talking about is just fundamentally different than the things, you know, my other peer groups were talking about when when I was growing up, and so I can't emphasize that enough on on, on your surroundings because if I if I call one of my friends from business school or if I call one of my friends from from Schwartzman Scholars and I tell them this like outlandish idea that I have, they're going to be like, hey you know what? Let, let me actually help there. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me connect you with this person and that person. And hey, maybe you're not even thinking about this large enough. Maybe you should be thinking about this, you know, times two or times three. And that just looks fundamentally different than, you know, some of the people you grow up with and you tell them, hey, I'm thinking about X, Y, Z. And then they tell you, hey, man, are you crazy? No way mm. you can do that. <laughs> and so That's true. It, it, it just looks different. So
0: I think, I'm going to pause. So now we've talked about paradigm shift, where you started being really what happened before that? Was there any time where you were gang gang, you were out there, <laughs> out there in the world, you know?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> man. Absolutely. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it, I guess, gang gang. But, uh, there, there was, a, there was absolutely a time where um I, I wasn't like laser focused or I wasn't um Yeah, I just didn't, I didn't view the world the way I view the world today or the way I viewed the world five years ago. Mm Um, you know, a a large part of that, I can remember being in middle school and like the early days of ninth grade of high school. I mean, it was, it was a challenging time for me before I had sort of that heart to heart with, with, uh, with the teacher who told me, Hey, you're sort of bright. You just need to apply yourself. Um, Man, I, I think it's it's sort of the trouble that a lot of young men run into, um, like your value, your value matrix, or your value system is, is just off, right? And and the things that are important to you, right? They they really shouldn't be, and and I certainly you know fell in that I fell in that bucket where, you know, sort of the, you know, I hate I hate to I hate to use this, uh, but like. Hey, you know the the latest pair of J's that came out was like the important thing, mm-hmm. and 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 there's nothing wrong with that, right? I got buddies who who um you know they love shoes, and, and I got buddies who are making a lot of money, um by selling shoes. You can think of shoes as an asset class mm-hmm. if you uh, if you if you approach it with the right mindset and the right mind frame. I got buddies mm-hmm. who are who are doing really well in that space, but I had a I'll, I'll never forget my my football coach Buddy Wright was his name. <clears throat> And Buddy told me, he said, you know why I like you, Ferguson? Because you want more out of life than a box Chevy and a pair of J's. And, you know, I would say pr- prior to that that shift in the 10th grade, that was sort of my my, my mind frame. Like, I thought, hey, if I get me a box Chevy and a pair of J's, then I've, 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 I've done well, mm-hmm. I've, I've made it. Made it in life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, man, I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've certainly had, a, I guess, a, a gang gang period of
0: uh,
2: <laughs> where I'm I'm sort of out of it, man. You know how you're like, the way I like to describe it is like the world just, you're sort of just going with the flow and the world comes to you, but you're not going after the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, um, yeah, no, I, I certainly had my period. It hadn't always been buttoned up, K-ferd.
0: K. <laughs> <on. laughs>
1: yeah. Speaking of um, how you got to that saw So you know, I did some research and I digged it into the A and M U S G Twitter page. So April trend, every 2012, so they made like a oh, this is gonna be like this part of the top Forbes 10, and your name was listed on there, and one of our former um podcast of guest was on there to look a look at. So what was the reaction of like okay, you being sort of the star student at school and how were you kind of like placing yourself in that position of being considered the star student or a potential to be
2: great or to be greater than you know anyone could ever imagine? Yeah man, I think I think a couple of things one, anytime your peers view you a certain way, it, it just, it feels different. So for one, it was just an appreciate, you know, I was appreciative of, of my peers thinking that highly of you because your peers are typically the people who are the most difficult to convince, right? And so if your peers think highly of you, then <clears throat> maybe you're certainly doing something right. From the perspective of, of sort of how I moved or how I thought about it at the time, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like the the Bible verse, right? To whom much is given, you know, much is required. And so I always thought of myself, even when I was at AM, I always thought of myself as having a, um, you know, sort of a, a responsibility to bear, uh, both for my peers, but also for the outside world. You know, the, the, the one thing, and, and it sort of gets at the point that I'm trying to make around um, how I thought about it and, 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 and the responsibility that I, I carried around with me, even when I was just moving around campus, you know, with, with the, with the other students on campus. You know, one thing I noticed when I was, um, you know, after I graduated from <coughs> AM and I was in the workforce, <coughs> excuse me, was if a student who went to like an HBCU, so if a student who went to Alabama a and uh, you know, if, if they didn't do well on the job, like the school was bad, right? Oh man, Alabama a and is bad. Oh man, they, you know, the program is good. But let's say a kid went to like, I don't know, Georgia Tech, right, and, and that kid wasn't a good engineer. then they'd be like, oh, that kid is bad, right? Like, it, but it's not the school. And so I always, like with that, that that mind frame or that positioning, I always, whether it was, you know, in a, in a professional environment, whether it was just outside, uh, the school environment and even internal to Alabama, and i always felt like, "Hey, man, I need to carry myself to a higher standard," uh, because the way people look at me, the way my peers look at me, but also at the way the outside world looks at me and looks at an institution like the one that I went to. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's the way you carry yourself, and yeah. like
1: you said again, your institution matters, but at the same time, you know, you're so myself why you play it. So, yeah,
2: but but you know I, you know I, one thing I don't want you guys to walk away with I don't want anybody in your audience to walk away it, with is like <clears throat> I'm some button up guy who doesn't like to have fun that certainly wasn't the case <laughs> when I was in school I, I i was the guy in the front of the party line so like that's certainly what the case uh you know I, I certainly believe in you know work hard play hard so yeah, hey, there, there's a time to be buttoned up. There's a time we certainly need to have our ties tightened uh, and our hairline sharp. But there's also a time where we can we can relax, put our snap back on, and and have a good time. Um, so so I, you know I don't want you to walk away either thinking uh, you know I'm buttoned up uh, and and don't like to have fun. So what do you do for fun? <laughs> <laughs> right well well i mean what i do for fun looks different today than what i did for fun when i was so
0: let's talk about today and before (laughs) today when you were gang gang (laughs) and (laughs) now
2: yeah no man i mean just like you all the the same things i imagine you all enjoy you know i really enjoyed sort of the barbecue scene and being you know once i once i crossed being a part of alpha um you know, I was our chapter president for a while. So, you know, I would oversee the parties and things like that. So I always enjoy having a good time. I was also a part of a group called the Frat Pack, uh, when I was in school. <clears throat> it's it's not a thing now at ANL, but essentially it was two Kappas, two Qs, mm-hmm. uh, and two Alphas. And we like threw big parties. Okay. And so I was a part of that group, right? So I so I enjoyed that and I enjoy having fun. And I think since since that time, Right. I've transitioned to I read a lot more now. So, I, you know, I, I spend an extensive amount of time uh, reading things, uh, reading books, reading magazine, reading journals, etc. So that's a way that I wind down. Uh, and now, man, I'm a family man now. Right. I got a wife, two kids. And so like when you wake up on Saturday morning, you say, hmm, what do I want to do today? Hmm. What should I get done today? When I wake up on Saturday morning, I think, hmm what do my kids want to do today? <laughs> and so it's just a different lifestyle, man. And, uh, you know, life is all about change and adapting mm-hmm. to change, right? Uh, you know, I think, you know, when we talked, the last time we talked, I told you, there's there's three things guaranteed in life. Taxes, death, and change. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, change you, you have to be able to adapt to change because it's certainly going to happen. Uh, and so, yeah, my interests have changed as, as I've gotten older uh, and as my life has changed. So you spoke about you know now you wiping down
1: with reading books and journals. So what kind of category do it? You, are you like a non-fiction type person? Fiction or more of like the history, political, or just a mix of everything?
2: No, I'm I'm, I'm a non-fiction guy. My wife she often gets on to me about um, she she wants me to start reading a bit of fiction. Uh, I, I don't read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of non-fiction and I read a lot of biographies because you can learn just so much. Um, And you can glean so many lessons just from the lessons and and watching the way somebody moved or the way somebody operated uh, in their life. And so I'm a big, big uh, biography uh, reader, whether it's reading about, you know, titans like John D. Rockefeller. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, I read a lot of uh, presidential biographies because, as you can imagine, sort of the road to to get to to the White House, um, you can you can pick up and glean a lot of lessons uh, along the way. Um, and so I read a lot of a lot of business uh, businessmen and women biographies and a lot of um, political biographies. How do you feel?
0: So, like I told you the last time we spoke, like I I very much value experiences or how people feel after doing stuff. So, after reading a book, how do you feel mentally? Do you feel smarter? Do you feel? Now I can do this because I've seen this person do it. How do you feel after you read a book?
2: Well, the, the, for, for the people that I'm looking at, I actually feel like after I read a book, like, damn, I need to go work a bit harder.
0: Uh, or like,
2: man, I got a long way to go. Uh, but, but a lot of times it's a reflection of, of a couple of things. One, there's a context element to it. Because, of course, if you're reading a biography, you're reading about the past. Mm -hmm. And you got to put that in context to the environment in which that person operated in and ultimately thrived in. Right. So there's like a contextual reflection, too. And so when I read a book, I'm thinking about that and I'm saying, hey, what can I glean from that time or that individual? And how can I implement it into my day to day life? Um, And so typically you know, I walk away with with sort of two or three things when after I read a book, one is, hey man, I need to work a bit harder. Um, Two is, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, man, if if that person accomplished that, you know, I think if if that's what I wanted to do, I possibly could accomplish it uh, as well. Uh, And then, you know, the third thing you think about is you know, what what's the next book I'm about to read? <laughs> uh, but you but you but you do always feel a bit accomplished. Uh, to your point, you you feel a bit accomplished. Hey man, I just finished up a book. It, it was good. I, I wrote down some lessons that I want to go try and implement, and, um, and 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 uh, you know implement in my life. And, and hopefully, I'll be successful once I do those things. So so was but, it true? Was it true reading
0: that you kind of realized that I could go from being engineering to having my own startup too is that how it went can you talk more about the startup
2: yeah yeah no absolutely man I think um I think in in in, and it's not just a reading thing it's actually also seeing it play out um you know I used to always say it's difficult to be what you can't see and I think one of the great things that at least we get to enjoy in our lifetimes is a lot of things that once seemed as as sort of glass ceiling, so to speak, they've been shattered. And so you can Google and, and you'll see somebody who looks like you, who's done something amazing. You know, mm-hmm. whether that's Reginald Lewis doing a, you know, a billion dollar leverage buyout or whether that's somebody who, you know, everybody probably knows a Barack Obama going on to become president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you see those things and you say, okay, hey, I can I can do that too uh, if I put my mind to it. Um, and yeah, on the startup front, right, I got, I got a lot of friends um, who are doing different startups and things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and that's an extension of, of school too, right? After going to, to business school, you know, a lot of friends are, are doing startups or they're doing their, their own entrepreneurial ventures. And so you certainly feel like hey, if the guy I sat in class with for the past two years can do it, you know, I can do it too.
1: <clears throat> yeah. So speaking in line with the um, entrepreneurial ventures, I wonder, so what specifically are you kind of doing in the entrepreneurial world? Is it kind of like, are you in the engineering side of things or like, can it like the industry? the street?
2: Yeah, no, it's a completely uh, adjacent industry, man. The, the thing that I'm working on is uh, actually in the glamping industry. And, and so you can think of the glamping industry as like glamorous camping. Um, and so I'm working on a big uh, glamping development. Not sure if you've heard of companies like Getaway, Firelight Camps, Auto Camp, um, Under Canvas, right? It's these uh, sort of these companies who are building. Um, sort of nature-based experiences. And so traditionally, let's say if you go camping, right, you got to sort of bring your tent along, you got to bring your cooking utensils and all of that. Mm -hmm. But for these glamping operators and these glamping startups, uh, it's essentially having the amenities of a hotel uh, inside of a tent. And so working on a startup within that space um, called Starlight Haven. Oh, okay. And, 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 And sort of going back to the whole how things connect, uh, if you're doing development alert, right, there's likely a huge um, or a tremendous infrastructure component to it. Um, and because of my experiences in electrical engineering, when, when, a, when a double E comes to me and he says, it's going to cost this much or it's going to, uh, hey, you need to run your lines this way or you need to think about power distribution like this, uh, I can call this bluff if it's bullshit uh, because mm-hmm. of the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, no matter what you do, what you'll find is, man, the dots—they they always connect some way. In the end, they always connect.
0: So They're how true. how 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 far is the progress with the glamping idea? No,
2: man, it's going it's going well. We've uh, we got a piece of land under contract. Um, mm-hmm. We've been talking to different vendors for the different accommodations that we want to do. Um, we've raised our money, and so I mean, it's it's really a, a matter of executing now. We're just trying to execute. How was the All process right. like step by step? Like how
0: did it go? Like you were working, you and corporate America and then boom, bumping industry. Yeah, the exactly.
2: No, <laughs> yeah. no, it's funny, man. So so the, the the way I was thinking about what we were actually so I have a partner. He's a guy I actually worked with at Chevron. And what our original plan was to do was have you heard of this concept called entrepreneurship through acquisition? No. Yeah. And so 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 typically when we think about entrepreneurship, we think about the guy in the garage or the young lady uh, in the garage banging away at a computer working on a tech startup. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's entrepreneurship. And I'm going to go from zero to 100. Well, there's something else called entrepreneurship through acquisition. And what that is, is you buy an existing business. Right. So you own. Right. You, you've been running a business for 20 years. I come to you and I say, hey, I want to buy your business. Well, now I'm an entrepreneur. Right. I bought a business and I'm running. it. Mm-hmm. That was actually the original plan. Uh, but what happened was um, after I quit my job, my sort of corporate day to day grind job, my wife, she she knew I like to be outdoors. I like to go camping. She bought me. Um, you know, she she funded me a camping trip. And when I was out there, it was like a tiny home type structure. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, my wife would actually come do something like this. And so then I stopped relaxing and I go to the owner, I get in business mode and I started asking them all like, Hey man, how much did it cost you to build this? What's your occupancy rate? I know what I pay. What are you charging people during peak season? Hey, how did you connect this, this and this? And you know, what ended up having, I, you know, I came back home and I was like, man, this is a really attractive business model. And then uh, I Googled it, then I found out, oh man, there's an actual industry out here called the glamping industry. Uh, And then me and my partner, long story short, me and my partner, we looked at it, we studied it for six, eight weeks. We found it to be attractive and we said, okay, hey, let's go raise some money uh, and do a project ourselves and let's try to build a glamping brand. And so although we're starting with one site, uh, the goal is to build 10, 15, 20 sites across the United States.
1: So uh, speaking of the glamping um, industry and like you said you spoke to um, a glam for your social media that Um So why did you just sort of like acquire that company instead sort of kind of starting from scratch since <laughs> you are speaking on like entrepreneurship acquisitions? So why did you decide that, okay, we're going to want to start from scratch. We don't want to acquire this company. I just, you know, kind of increase the price to 10x our revenue. So why did you choose that route?
2: yeah no absolutely uh, one the glamping industry is pretty nascent right now uh so it's not a lot of operators that you can go purchase even if you want to go purchase somebody there's just not a lot of um supply out there to go purchase mm-hmm. and then the second piece of it is just after doing the industry research and uh and and, and, and talking to experts across the industry doing a deep dive into the industry. Um, it's an industry with with great growth prospects and so we felt like even if we started something from ground up uh, we'd be in a better position to uh th- to, to have a better uh exit uh, you know and maybe in five ten years we'd, we'd be in a better position to to benefit financially and then there's always that that glamour and that galore of starting something on your own and building it how you imagine it right because you know, you build something on your own. It's sort of your baby,
0: mm-hmm. and,
2: um, and and you want to take care of it very well, and you want to mold it and shape it in, in, in the image that that uh, that you've always envisioned. Like I said, we just That's a the... new one. Like no, I, I need to go and think
1: nev- about it. I, I, yeah, you don't
2: have
0: really to look do. up the industry. No, you have to. Yeah. Look it up. I looked
2: it up. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And, and when we open up, you guys will have to come yeah oh do we, get, we get
0: free free weekend
2: see, see, no, look, man. luxury look, man look look man
0: no you know what you know
2: you know a, a buddy of mine my daddy well my dad he used to always say this he used to say there's two types of people it's hard to do business with one your friends and family because they always want to hook up and two is <laughs> It's church people because church people always want to bless <laughs> uh,
0: That is true. Where, where is it located? Where's the site, the one, the new one coming in 2020? Is, yeah, it it'll,
2: it'll be in northeast Alabama, uh, oh, northwest okay. Georgia area.
1: Oh,
2: right. that's, that's not far All from right, you. So, so if we want
1: to kind of like look into the progress of Tallahassee and not what kind of know when it's available, how do we kind of get access to how do we get those information
2: yeah no absolutely there's already a website up or at least a landing page up if you if you type in visit starlight.com you'd you'd get to our our landing page we have a landing page up and then you can subscribe you can submit your email and um, you get updates right you subscribe to our newsletter get updates and you know all the progress um, you know as that unfolds okay
1: sorry one more question Uh, go on you you, can go on okay (laughs) so my question is kind of like you know you're sort of like new in the entrepreneurial space ability to be I don't know if you're an entrepreneur when you're younger or not but my question is kind of like what's the most difficult thing about your entrepreneurial journey and what's like your love that's keeping you going like okay I need to do this aside from your love for granted there has to be something that's driving you and that stuff from your family well like you do that stuff or the stuff that like, gets you going and there's also something that's like okay i hate this stuff i just want to like give up so what's happening
2: i think i'm still very early in my entrepreneurial journey right i mean i literally just quit my job um, my sort of corporate job in, in the february time frame what I found to be difficult, or what I find to be difficult, and I've heard it from other entrepreneurs who who uh, who I've spoken with, is, you know, the perception of, of of entrepreneurs until you've had a level of success, it's like, man, this guy's just, I don't know what he's doing. He's doing something, right? What is this guy doing? He said he says he's an entrepreneur. I don't even know what that means. What is, what is this guy doing? Uh, and so, I think the way. When, when you're when you're sort of on this traditional corporate path, it's easy to box and categorize yourself, right? Oh, hey Kevin, who are you? What do you do? Oh yeah, I'm a I'm an electrical engineer and I work for Chevron. And you know you can say that with pride, with your chest stuck out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it just like you can package yourself so different. Oh, what are you doing? Oh man, I'm a I'm a I'm a Schwartzman Scholar. I attend Tsinghua University. That that's me.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I
2: think. <laughs> It's, uh you know, the difficult part is, is I haven't been an entrepreneur before. And so just trying to figure out, you know, how do you package yourself? How do you sell yourself? It just looks different because, you know, prior to this experience, there was always like this big institution behind me when I packaged myself. Whereas now as an entrepreneur, it's just you. You know what I mean? It's it's just you. <laughs> yeah. You and the partner, like, you know. Uh so I think that 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 has been a bit of a challenge. I wouldn't call it a difficulty. It's just been a bit of a challenge. And again, it goes back to our conversation around, you know, change has happened. Now it's incumbent upon me to adapt and figure out how to thrive in a new setting. Uh and then to the second half for your question. Man, I think the sort of the the stick for me or the stick for me is I just want to build something, man. You want to build something from ground up. Mm-hmm. Is there, There's just something special uh, and glamorous about that? And I think it's, it's actually one of the reasons, as a society, we tend to, we, I think we glamorize entrepreneurs a lot, especially ones who've been sick, really, really successful. Yeah. Um, and so there's just something about building something from, from scratch and then being able to share that with a customer and being able to share that with another group of people. Uh, and you see their excitement, you're seeing the happiness that you can bring to them with your service, your experience or your product. And for me that gets me really excited. Do you like helping people? Absolutely, man. And it's it, you know it's one of the reasons why you know I guess if we stay on this theme of terms that I don't like, uh, you know another one outside of networking is uh, self-made. Everybody, I'm self-made. I'm self-made man. I'm self-made. I hate that. I, it's another word that I hate, right? Because to your point, everybody, no matter who you are, how successful you are, you got some help along the way. And so anybody who characterizes themselves as self-made, it just rubs me the wrong way. It's another word that I hate. You'd never hear me. If I go on to make a billion dollars, you'd never hear me refer to myself as i'm self-made no i'm not (laughs) self-made i got a lot of help along the way
0: (laughs) so what three what three values will you prioritize as your top three so you said you like helping people and obviously it it shows that you're humble so what three values do you prioritize and do you think is very important for a successful
2: individual from your perspective I think reputation is, is probably the, one of the first, you know, is, you know, certainly being the top three is, is reputation. Because ultimately, when all else fails, when you're on your sort of your last leg, when things aren't going right, and, and in life, there's going to be highs and lows, right? There's inevitably going to be highs and lows. And so when you're at a low period, the only thing that you can sort of lean on is your reputation. And so I think you should guard it you know, with your heart. It's, it's certainly a value that I hold, hold dear to me. So you know, being honest, being true, being transparent, you know, acting with integrity, all those things wrap up uh, into reputation. And so I'd say that's the, the first thing. Um, the second thing sort of value that I would say is uh, optimism. I think it's important to be optimistic. You always need to be thinking to yourself, when I wake up tomorrow, it's going to be a better day than the day um, before, right? And and so that's another value that I hold dear to me is just sort of this sense of optimism. You know, the Bible says, you know, in the end, there will be three things, right? Uh, you know, hope, faith, and love. Love is the greatest of these three. But, you know, one of them that's in there is, is hope, right? And optimism is sort of an extension of, of hope, um, right? You, you got to be hopeful. You got to be optimistic that you're going to... Um, like I said, that your yesterday is going to be better than, than your next day, and then I guess the third thing I would say is it's not really like a value I guess per se, but the third thing I guess is just like this idea of not taking yourself too serious, um, and that's something else that I hold dear, right? Like my friends who I went to, who, who I went to undergrad with, like nobody calls me Kevin; everybody calls me Ferb or K Fur, right? And so, you know, this is like a small example, but, but you go on, you do some things. And I've had people from a and who like, they call me, you know, hey, Kevin. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why are you calling me Kevin? Like, I'm bird. come on. And it's just this idea of like, you know, no matter where you are, it's just this, this value in this sense of like, not forgetting where you come from. It's just like, don't take yourself too serious. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. There's a time to be buttoned up, but, but let's have fun too. Um, and so you know again don't take yourself too serious have fun would be would be that third thing Um, so that's uh, optimism you know
0: that's reputation optimism and not taking yourself serious yeah
2: too serious I mean there's sometimes you need to take yourself serious yeah too serious yeah don't you know don't don't take yourself too serious too serious yeah yeah and you know be able to laugh at yourself right Mm mm-hmm
1: all right, uh, so just to wrap things up a little So, my question is we spoke about books earlier, and you know, um, and I'm sure audience we love to read, and I personally read as a curiosity So, what are your top three favorite books of podcasts, music, general? Whatever your top three,
2: yeah, man. So, so, so I'll, I'll preface my comments with um, I'll preface my comments like this as a as an undergraduate student, i I'm gonna preface my comments like that. If I'm if, if I'm if I'm giving advice to somebody who's in undergrad right now, these are the three books that you need to read. One is, especially if you're going to a place like Alabama Annual, one is the miseducation of the Negro. Right? Like that's like required reading because it will it will reshift your, your framing of how you even think about yourself. The second book is the Autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. Uh, there's several versions out there, but, you know, I would say, you know, you need to read the Alex Haley version uh, because I think, or at least, you know, I grew up, I went to public schools and the framing around Malcolm X, uh, I always found that to be a, a um, I want to use the right word, uh, maybe an incorrect, I'll just say incorrect. I, I, didn't, I didn't like the framing. And, and we also, we sort of, he gets framed in like a snippet of his life but that book provides you with a the entire context of his life and you know you guys asked about you know gang gang Malcolm X had a gang gang period in his life and so uh, <laughs> you know it's it's interesting to see how this man went from you know smoking reefer and joints and like going in and out of clubs and prostitution houses and to how he became probably one of the intellectual giants of the civil rights period
0: mm-hmm.
2: I mean it, it is a it is actually a it is like a, a, a fundamental shift. And it's like a, wow, um, you know, regard, there's some things he said that I agree with, things he said, and beliefs he had that I don't agree with. Uh, but I think, I think that story and the arc of that story is important for somebody who's 18, 19, 20, 21 years old to read and to understand. Um, I think it's really important. And the last book would be, you know, I have it up here on my uh, on my bookshelf. Is Team Arrivals by... Um, George Kearns Goodwin, which details the life of Abraham Lincoln. I think Abraham Lincoln is probably the greatest American to live. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of my, my top three would probably be like Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and then Bobby Kennedy um, would probably be, you know, somewhere in the top three. Uh, but but Abraham Lincoln is just an interesting man to to, to study. And so those would be my, my three books. If, if, if I came down today and was like guys while you're in college you need to read these three books those would be the three that you should read thank you so
0: we'll be rounding up now because the